0: Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of From the Lighthouse. I'm Stephanie and I'm here today with my very dear friend and all around great sparkly human (laughs) (laughs) Ellie Crooks who is a former PhD um, student, graduate of um, our PhD program in medievalism and um, she's currently a sessional staff member. Aren't you? Yes. yes, I am. And I'm she, nodding. Yes, but you can't see I know this is radio, Ellie. <laughs> radio. <laughs> um, well, it's not really radio. You know what I mean. Anyway. Um, so Ellie has come in today to talk to us about her PhD research, mm-hmm. and your PhD research was interested in um, medievalism in a num- around a number of kind of significant women from medieval literature. But we're here today specifically to talk about Guinevere. Yes. But before we talk about Guinevere, I wanted to get a sense from you. Why do we keep, do you think, um, we keep returning to the Arthurian legends? Like, what is the appeal of the the stories about Arthur kind of down the centuries? Okay. It's a big question. I know.
1: It is a big question. And I think that you we kind of have to go back to the 18th century
0: yes, to talk about that. That is my favourite time to go back to. Yeah, I know. Mm. <laughs> so...
1: There are a lot of histories being written in the 18th century about, yeah. um, well, about England's, like, historical past. Uh, kind of grounded in, in an interest in patriotism and wanting to, like, find a linguistic and cultural and historical background to, like, what made people English and or British. Um, so there are lots of these texts being written. Uh, Arthurian legend was kind of ignored. In that, uh, for a really long time, no one was particularly interested in looking at uh, the Arthurian legends because they were seen as legends, not as history. Mm. Uh, the turn of the century, so 19th century, uh, the Arthurian legends, uh, people were going back to like Leomon and waste and Mallory. Uh, and Mallory was reprinted for the first time. So Thomas Mallory's, um, the Darth that was reprinted for the first time in I think like 1816. And uh, as a result, there was kind of renewed interest in the medieval legend, like in the medieval legend of the Arthurian legends. Um, yeah, so that's kind of where that came from. And then the reprinting of Mallory. Mm-hmm. Mallory was very much interested in, well, let's not say very much interested in, that's, that's giving him too much credit, but he included more women. Yeah. He was more interested in women. He was He, he gave more... Attention to the Guinevere character. He kind of built on the work of Coutier de trey mm. and his kind of idea around um, Guinevere and Guinevere um, and her relationship with Lancelot.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so Mallory built on that. He create he he kind of built on this idea of guilty love, and the Victorians loved that. They loved. This guilty love—they thought it was really sexy. They thought it was really interesting. Who doesn't interesting. love a good love triangle? Who doesn't love a good love triangle? I mean, they disliked. Well, we'll go into that later. But yeah. yes, they they enjoyed that part of the story. So I feel like the interest in Arthuriana that we have now can be traced directly back through the 18th century through the 19th century.
0: All right, thanks. That was great. Um, so can I was wondering if you could talk about Guinevere's story in the kind of medieval sources because you know, depending on how much people listeners out there know about Guinevere, um. When did the kind of love triangle element kind of start? Was that there in the, in the earliest medieval sources or was that a later invention?
1: Uh, Guinevere isn't really in the earliest mm-hmm. of the medieval sources. She uh, appears in the 12th century mm-hmm. as Arthur's wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the late 12th century um, in Crite de Troyes, she kind of comes in as like the, the love affair with her and Lancelot. Um yes, but after that uh, Mallory kind of picks that up and extends mm-hmm. upon it mm-hmm. uh yeah, but in essence, Guinevere, the story of Guinevere and Lancelot is Guinevere was the uh, wife and queen to King Arthur of the Round Table, mm-hmm. um, and he is kind of been he has been taken up since the 19th century as kind of a symbol of Britishness, Englishness um, he's a Christian king, he's powerful and patriotic. and mm-hmm. um, and Guinevere goes against that. She she
0: ruins it all. She ruins it all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: she kind of brings down the whole of this kind of utopian Camelot, Camelot society mm-hmm. through um, her affair with Lancelot. Mm. Uh, yeah. So it's it's there's definitely an element of because Arthur is so godlike in so many of these texts, the fact that Guinevere would come in and go against him is really a a point of contention for a lot of these writers in the 19th century Mm. um they demonize her quite intensely Mm -hmm. but I mean you you've read some of my stuff but Mm. what do you think of when you think of
0: it always interests me um I think of I think of her in terms of like the the bad woman yeah you know and and the kind of the woman as I said who kind of Ruins it all, you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. she's got this this illicit love for for um for Lancelot, and I've been doing a lot of work, as you know, on um on Anne Boleyn, and it mm-hmm. really there's a really interesting article about how um the killing of the queen was such a kind of shock to the English people because they'd never killed a queen before, mm-hmm. um that they actually look to stories about Guinevere, like the you know adulterous yeah. queen, as as a way of kind of explaining it, um. And because in some versions of the story, as I understand it, she's actually condemned to death. She is. Is that in all? Like, is, it, is that in Mallory? I'm not sure. Mm, now now I'm thinking back. Cause it's been a while since I've read Mallory, but... Oh, it doesn't matter. But, like, yeah, I think I, in some versions she's condemned to death, but I don't think she's ever executed.
1: She's not. She's never yeah. executed. So, um, basically, in the end, she runs away to a nunnery. That's kind of the, the big one. Yeah. Um. And there are some where Lancelot comes to see her and she kind of rejects his advances and she Mm -hmm. lives a pious life at the end. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's interesting that they would be using that where almost the Queen is redeemed and they kind of let her live out the rest of her days in a
0: nunnery. Yeah, well, I think that's what she hoped would happen. So she was right, I see, I see. Yeah, I mean, there are some kind of sources that suggest maybe that that's what she hoped would happen, but they f- certainly framed the story in in the time at the time around like this is what happens to the adulterous queen yeah um because there wasn't a real life touchstone so they had to look at legend and, and myth and um and think about it through that lens i don't know i'm mm-hmm. surprised um like when i hear you talk about the 19th century and how she's the bad girl i'm surprised about the nun element
1: yeah i am because
0: i you know i i, I I wasn't kind of aware of that until I heard you speak about it. I'm surprised that she ends up being redeemed. And I'm wondering, is that redemption taken seriously? Like, is Mm -hmm. it presented as a kind of, like, real redemption? Or is it a just sort of of get-out-of-jail-free card, you know?
1: Yeah. I would say, surprisingly, yeah, it does seem like a genuine redemption. Mm -hmm. Even in Tennyson. So Tennyson wrote kind of one of the most, probably the most famous 19th century um, Arthurian texts. Uh, he wrote The Idols of the King. One of the idols is um, called Guinevere.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, in the end, he has Guinevere uh, flee to Anunna at Armsbury and there she becomes an abbess and she lives out the rest of her days piously. And then in the end, basically, um, she goes to where beyond there is, there is no violence or something like that. So mm. she, she, he explicitly sends her to heaven at the end. Mm-hmm. So even in this text, that's being kind of held up as the pinnacle of kind of the misogynistic, very um, uh, masculine, masculine, mm. not particularly like positive view of Guinevere. Mm. Still includes this at the end, mm-hmm. um, and this was kind of extended upon and made even more uh, uh, forgiving in other texts. That's interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah I mean. I suppose that kind of sits a bit oddly with our with our vision of Guinevere, which I still certainly have. And yeah. Guinevere is like the bad girl, I suppose, or the one that, that as I said, ruins everything. Um, is that the way that she becomes able to be written about? You know what I mean? Like she has yeah. to be redeemed in order for her to to have a place in the story because, like, an unrepentant woman.
1: Oh no, they loved. They would love the idea of an unrepentant woman. I mean, like, that would play right into their
0: yeah. ideas about
1: like the dichotomy of womanhood. Yeah um in relation to Guinevere I would say that they actually kind of revelled in this uh in the potential to demonize her mm. um in her supposed like
0: unrepented kind of unrepentant um attitude um because like if she was the if she was unrepentant then you could like put her in the Bad girl category in a kind of unproblematic way.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think so. And I think that there's there's a lot of uh Guinevere's in the nineteenth century that are are kind of allowed to uh become repentant and 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 be accepted into heaven, but it's weird that our perception of Guinevere and the way she was treated in the nineteenth century is completely different we kind of see her as oh she was demonized at the end
0: Mm. um it's it's funny because you know until you uh, until i heard you talk about the kind of nun conclusion to the story i'd always just never really known what happened to no i know it's like you know arthur discovers that his wife and his best friend are involved in a torrid affair and then the story kind of ends like i never thought of sort of thought about what happens to to guinevere and maybe again that's a reflection on the kind of lokiness of the stories like the woman's just sort of there until she's not there i think it's also a reflection on the nature of medieval texts yeah because
1: there is no definitive ending yeah um so does arthur get a from the lady of the lake does he get the sword from a stone so there isn't really a definitive ending for Guinevere. So no one really, no one can say like, oh yes, well
0: Guinevere definitely went to Winanuri and that's how her life ended. And because we're dealing yeah. with like legendary texts. Exactly. That made their little or no relationship yeah. with actual history. Yes. Yes. You know, it's there's no definitive account.
1: Yeah. And going back to, I remembered what I was going to say before, but this point about uh, Guinevere and why they would um, want to have her redeemed at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, Arthur as I was saying before, kind of this patriotic Christian king, he is positioned as kind of the uh, forgiver of Guinevere. He forgives her actions. Mm-hmm. He says, like, I forgive thee as God would forgive thee. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's Mallory, if that's Tennyson, but it's kind of very similar. Mm-hmm. He comes to the nunnery, he forgives her. Mm-hmm. Um, so by, by making Guinevere a redeemable figure, we then can hold up Arthur as a Christ like figure.
0: Right, so it makes Arthur look even better.
1: Yeah, it's like, oh, what a great guy.
0: Yeah, he yeah. gives his body wife. His, yeah, yeah, they
1: brought down the whole of his kingdom. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah, And it was, as you were saying that, I was also thinking too about how um, I suppose Guinevere's sexuality might actually present a problem for the Victorians because why would such a good guy mm. want. You know, be drawn to a woman like that kind of thing. So yeah. she has to have the potential for goodness in her in order yes. for her to be a proper wife to him. Yeah, because he is such a kind of again the Christ-like kind of yeah, that's perfect figure. Really
1: yeah, yes. So in a lot of the stories, Guinevere is kind of a very meek, almost uh, like very two-dimensional character until mm. you hear this story of her relationship with. Lancelot, Mm -hmm. and so it's kind of like until then she's fine she's but she doesn't really have much character Mm -hmm. and then she has this affair although she's been having this affair but it's finally being mentioned and then we go into that story so it's kind of it almost sets it up for she was a good wife until she made
0: this fatal error yeah yeah she doesn't seem to have like like i guess you said much of a character at all which makes me wonder Mm -hmm. like why does she have an affair with Lancelot? I mean, besides the kind of obvious, like mm. he was sexy, I suppose. But um, you know, I just—it yeah. seems like an under kind of theorized relationship.
1: Yeah. So a few of them in the 19th century are they give excuses for this, right? Arthur was an old man. Guinevere was a young woman, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. she she needed, and and there's and there's actually some blame afforded Arthur for this. Right? He shouldn't have chosen a young wife. Right, that's interesting. Um, yeah. yeah, so I, I can't remember what text it is because I I have this like very big data approach to 19th century Arthuriana. Yeah. So there's just like a lot of texts. A, a lot of them are really bad as well. Yeah. Yeah. But there's this one that talks about um, Guinevere as as a sapling growing on um, an old oak tree and how like that doesn't work or something like that, like that kind of metaphor for the relationship between Arthur and Guinevere and Things like that, like she's so, a dying oak, and she's
0: this young, right? So yeah. therefore, it's kind of explicable that she would exactly go off with the um, six yeah, year yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah, and yeah. That's that's really interesting because I suppose what I was getting at before is she has to be redeemable in order to be there in the first place. You yeah. know what I mean? Like to have that position of the queen of this utopian world, there has to be. Yes. there has to be a way to redeem her.
1: Yes, and I mean. I'm saying that there's not much to do with Guinevere prior to her affair, but there is one scene. There's a scene between her and um, I think it's Sir Galahad. No, it can't be. There's another knight. He, there's a lot like, of knights. There's a lot of knights. And I'm not – I intentionally don't read about the men <laughs> in Arthuriana. It's like, where are the women? Where yeah, is Guinevere? Yeah. Where's Morgan Le Fay? Oh, yeah. That's an interesting point. There's yeah. a night that um, he, he went against women. He – um, yes, yeah, use them. The, yeah, the exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he was just a bad knight, and Guinevere in all her wisdom, brings him to court and says, "You have been wrong. You, what you have done is wrong. Bad You're a bad knight." <laughs> um, and she makes him swear to forever be um a knight for the, for women, mm-hmm. uh, and to kind of uphold Chivalric values in relation to women, and always be kind and courteous to ladies. So he actually, from then on, becomes um, kind of like an advocate for the women in the realm. He so becomes he, an ally. Yeah, he becomes a nice little ally. You know what I mean? But, like, Good it took you. a while to get there, but, yeah. Good on you, Guinevere. Yeah, up for the women. up for the women. But, like, yeah. I like yeah. it. Yeah, I do. Yeah. There we go.
0: Some character for Guinevere. Yeah, so
1: there is a little bit of character. And, I mean, my favourite part of Guinevere is how upset she gets about uh, Lancelot's dalliance with um the Lily Maid of Astolat. she's kind of very angry and a little bit pissed off about it. Um nice. yeah, so there's a little bit of sass going on there. Like she doesn't want to talk to him. She sends him out and he's like, Oh, she doesn't want to see me anymore. I don't know what I've done. Um you'd be been... handing out
0: some shields to random ladies. Yeah, yeah. so you know <laughs> this is, you know, lesson this for is us all yeah, this is this is all about like cheating. But yeah. you know, just be careful. Yeah. When you're cheating, yeah. Yeah, it'll come back to blow on you. Yeah. yeah, I like it. Um, I'm interested in going back to the nun thing. I don't know mm-hmm. why. Everyone's always interested in the nuns. No, and people
1: it? love nuns. People love nuns. They definitely, there's like a whole thing in the 19th century. Like they were fascinated by nuns. They like thought that they were, what are they doing behind those closed walls?
0: Is this a Catholic thing? Because they're like, okay, so, you know, the problem I suppose for the for the 19th century is that the medieval they were catholic then Mm. right um and so they have to grapple with that yeah um in the
1: 19th century yeah Yeah. you know the protestant
0: 19th century has to grapple with the fact that the medieval was a catholic world Mm. so is the nun thing greeted with skepticism or is it is there a genuine kind of engagement with the idea of nun, or is it like those weird catholics who lock up women yeah you know what i mean
1: there was definitely that going on
0: right um Nuns were seen
1: as kind of popish and Romanish and not uh, acceptable. And uh, uh, there were a, there were a few middle class women that were going into nunneries. And and Punch and other magazines were kind of up in arms about this. Very worried about the nature of society. Oh well, if there are no good middle class and upper class women there to be mo- wives and mothers then like the rest of society is going to crumble
0: i'm sure a few women going into a nunnery is not going to like well, i know the right, actual I know, right. To-
1: but they were very <laughs> worried they were very very worried um so very worried about that but and i mean there there were some some quite vile awful things said about nuns um about uh like well not vile but just just very kind of not particularly flattering um there was kind of this suggestion that perhaps like what's going on behind closed doors like this isn't natural this isn't blah 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 so there was definitely that going on but and there has been kind of an examination of Brunigar in the 19th century in relation to how she was represented as a nun and the the consensus so far is that she was because because People were Protestant, mainly Protestant in mm. Britain or in England in the 19th century. They obviously had a problem with this and so they represented Guinevere negatively as a result. I don't agree. Mm. Um, I've studied a whole swathe of uh, visual artworks depicting Guinevere as a nun, mm. texts that depict Guinevere as a nun, even Tennyson. I mean, the the text the that, te- yeah. Yeah, that kind of supposedly demonizes Guinevere and he, he has her become a nun at the end and she goes to heaven. Like, it's not – I think there is a disconnect between this kind of, like, um, anti-Catholic, anti-nun propaganda and also the way that Grenouille is represented. Um, I don't think that they are aligned. Mm. And I think maybe this had something to do with the fact that Protestant nunneries were coming in at this time, the first Protestant nunneries in Britain since the Reformation. Right. This kind of introduction of – high protestantism um the high church of england so they were adopting kind of well medieval what they would see is like pre-reformation
0: yeah so yeah. all like catholic kind of approach to exactly religion. exactly
1: yeah. so perhaps this had an impact on the this depiction of bruno and i mean these nuns at first were kind of like oh how awful like these we we're, were adopting like catholic tradition and yeah. that kind of thing but in the end, there are actually a lot of uh, sources from the time uh, by non-Catholic um, people, and they were kind of quite positive about the nuns. They did a lot of charity work. They set up schools. They were um, nurses. Mm. Um, yeah, so it was kind of like a big shift there. Mm.
0: Yeah, because, you know, I coming out of the 18th century where most of my research has been um, situated, Certainly nuns are sometimes talked about as in, you know, they're up to they're up to sexual stuff. Yeah, that's yeah, definitely in there. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah. you know, it's all a it's all a ploy, it's not really, you know, they're not really living out the kind of no you know, chastity and, and modesty ideals of, of, of being a nun. They're in yeah. fact having all sorts of illicit sex in there with yeah. priests and yeah. each other yeah. and you know. Yeah. So I was wondering if that was going on, but it sounds like it isn't, which surprises me. Yes, it is really surprising.
1: There was definitely that kind of discourse happening on a broader scale in the 19th century, I think that that was carried on from the 18th. Yeah. But that did not, I don't think, inform in any way the depictions
0: of whatever is a nun. She seems to me like this very fully redeemed figure. Yeah. I was wondering if you could talk to, like, some of the, the visual image. I mean, obviously we can't mm. sort of Let me show them. Yeah, yeah. My work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Tell me about, like, how is she depicted in the visual art?
1: Yeah. Okay. So, usually in nun's garb, surprisingly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Trying to, like, get across that. She's a nun. She's a nun. She's She's a a nun. Um, Often she is on her knees in a non-sexual way, (laughs)
0: praying at an altar. Right. um, So doing nun things.
1: Doing nun things. Yeah. And I mean, often so there's a lot of um, illustrated um, children's books in the 19th century that was produced about the Arthurian legend. They kind of just um, shortened and cleaned them up a little bit. Yeah. Uh, So, but you often see this. Guinevere is as a as a young woman kind of very beautiful often wearing really opulent opulent clothing her hair is sometimes out like when she's weeping for when um Lancelot goes away on yeah. his tournaments etc she's weeping she's very beautiful lots of color very opulent when she's depicted as a nun mm-hmm. uh i mean she's not depicted as in a grotesque way. I mean, they're not kind of judging her and kind of, oh, she, now she's an older woman or something like that. There's no kind of ageism in there. Um, she's usually like her face is really beautiful, but she's really pious looking. She has her hair covered. She um, often she's clasping her hands and looking up at heaven. Right. Um, she's very demurely dressed. There's no opulence anymore. It's very kind of a Spartan settings
0: in a chapel or yeah it's like she has to be moved as far away as possible from the kind of sex yeah
1: yeah and there are exceptions so um an artist called um Florence Harrison Mm -hmm. I think there's so many of them and the women do some really beautiful stuff so Eleanor Brookdale oh it's Jessie M King I'm thinking of Jessie M King she has Guinevere and there's kind of mention of her becoming a nun at the end. So she illustrated quite famously um, Tennyson's Idols, but she also illustrated William Morris's The Defense of Guinevere, right. which is, um, people see it as the only progressive kind of pro-Guinevere text of the 19th century. It is not, but it is the most popular and famous one. Um, he, she, she, obviously, in The Defense of Guinevere, because it's quite a positive depiction of Guinevere, the images are positive, but even in, um, even in her, in Jesse M. King's illustration of Tennyson's, at the end, um, where Guinevere goes to Arthur's tomb and Lancelot is there, uh, she's wearing nuns garb. So she's wearing an, a robe, a black robe, but her hair is still, I mean, she was à um, nouveau and very kind of overly stylized, very beautiful, mm. very kind of slender. Um, black and white, often images. Mm-hmm. Um, she's got like this luscious, like mane of of curling hair, like a like a figure. like a yeah. pre-raphaelite figure. Yeah. But she's but she's standing in front of kind of a stylized cross, and there's like Lancelot beneath her, and he's weeping over the tomb of Arthur. And it's actually like a really, she's beautiful, and she's not completely kind of. Um, uh, sanitized yeah. she's still a woman she still kind of has her flowing hair and that's like a whole thing there's all these kind of
0: victorians the love they her.
1: love some flowing hair yeah she's beautiful so she's, 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 still, there she's still there she's still there with lancelot but she's actually wearing now, and i think she even has like a big cross like hanging from her neck as well
0: like a right yeah. so it's so that combination so it manages to combine the kind of sexual stuff yeah with the religious yeah stuff. that's yeah. interesting yeah tell me more about william morris and his defensive line.
1: Yeah. Okay. And I saw someone wearing a William Morris inspired shirt on the bus this morning. Oh, really? Yeah. Which he would not have enjoyed because I think it's from H and M. So he would not have enjoyed the commercialization of his his work. I
0: know. Yeah. He would hate it. <laughs> he like, would have hated it. He's not big into capitalism. No, William he's Morris, not big into all, capitalism. No, Arts
1: and Crafts movement and all that. Yeah, it's kind of going back to pre, yeah, to pre-industrial England. Yeah. Yeah. So. William Morris. So, if Tennyson is kind of the big text that mm-hmm. we talk about as kind of well, it is the big text of the 19th century about of Arthurian legend, unquestionably, um, and of the it was kind of so important and so instrumental into in in how Guinevere was represented afterwards mm-hmm. um, as this demonized figure. But uh, William Morris, a few years later, so like. Tennyson wrote his idols in the 1850s, Mm -hmm. and Morris, yeah, so Morris was writing after, but not long after, like, 1858. Yeah. So Morris did a very different thing. Yeah. Morris wanted to, Morris, I don't know if he wanted to, I can't put my words in his mouth, but he gives Guinevere a voice. Yeah. It's, the poem is Guinevere presenting her case to a group of knights. Right. saying yes I did something wrong I did have an affair with Lancelot but you can't fully blame me for that and she's just because it's, Arthur is old no okay this is because she so there's this story of the a, a blue and red cloth right yeah mm. yeah um yes yeah, so the blue and red cloth she says so uh Imagine this, she has a hypothetical to these knights who are trying to condemn her for her actions. She says, imagine this, you're you're offered two cloths, one red and one blue, and you don't know anything about these cloths and you're not told what they mean or anything like that, but one of them will send you to hell and one of them will send you to heaven. And she decided, well, blue is the colour okay. of heaven. Seems, seems, seems like seems a legit, yeah, legit choice. But it wasn't. Uh oh. So her <laughs> argument seems to be, There is no uh, definitive, clear path for a woman, for a Christian woman, to live their life um, piously.
0: So it's just like a random thing? Yeah. Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah.
1: So, yes, so she's kind of saying, like, it wasn't all my fault.
0: Okay. Yeah. It's like we get, it doesn't really sort of matter in the end what choices we make because we're sort of, just floating anyway.
1: around not yeah. knowing like what's right and wrong right yeah so she's interesting yeah
0: i mean it doesn't seem the strongest
1: defense to be it honest. is not it no. is not but I mean, I mean it's a defense it's a de- i mean i mean it is a defense of guinevere by guinevere i don't know you know what i mean like she's doing her best yeah i don't know how she can in any other way kind of defend her actions
0: well i um, would go for the, like the arthur's kind of boring personally if I was going to be. I
1: don't think that the Victorians <laughs> would like that I know they but like
0: loved him I know yeah. but like from my perspective if I was going to be I'd go for the like Look, he wasn't that great. Yeah, he wasn't that great. A better option came along. Who can play yeah. me, ladies? Yeah. That, sort of, yeah. that, that yeah. would be my am defense. Am I right, ladies? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. But <laughs> it I was feel a like... whole group
1: of knights, though. So, I mean, she's playing to her audience, maybe.
0: Yeah, maybe that wouldn't be yeah. a great
1: defense if I was standing yeah. in front of her. She says to all them, am I right, ladies? Yeah. And they're like,
0: um, mm-hmm. we're all knights. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, I can see how that would work. Mm. That's really interesting, though, because yeah. William Morris is, uh, has a very kind of particular kind of view of medieval doesn't he? like,
1: you yeah, know, the medieval
0: is this, like, great time of, yes, you know, political utopia. Yes. We should all yes. bring a, down capitalism. He an ardent socialist. Yes. And I'm into that. I'm into that too, but I feel like I like pretty things too much. Yeah, me too. I mean, I wouldn't be able to live in an arts and crafts world.
1: No, I wouldn't be able to live in an arts and crafts world. If I could be, I don't know, gifted with a beautiful arts and crafts shirt, like the man on the bus this morning, but it was actually pretty But he bought it. He bought it. He bought it. Mass produced. It, it is mass produced. See, I almost bought myself some like Morris and Co. bed linen, and I was like, Morris would not like
0: this. Ellie, I know. No. He would be like, You are you are um, alienated from the mechanisms <laughs> of production, wouldn't you? <laughs> yes, he? you would. You oh, would, and I am. I am. I like buying things. I do too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, why make them when you can just go buy them?
1: I know. And it's coming <laughs> back to like the red and blue cloth. It's like, I don't know. Mm. Which one do I choose? Yeah. I don't know. The red cloth of
0: commercialism. I, l- I like cloth. red. <laughs> yeah. look yeah. red. Yeah. And I mean, you know, if blue doesn't send you to heaven, then blue... yeah, the world... obviously red does. Obviously
1: blue would send you to heaven, though. Like, red,
0: yeah, red. is hell. That's right. I went to see the Pre-Raphaelite exhibition in Canberra recently. I am going this weekend. It was amazing. I'm very excited. And I have to say, the, the one that I thought I would like the most, seeing it in person the most, was Ophelia. Yes. The one that I actually enjoyed seeing the most person was the lady of Shalott. i cried oh, when i saw it's the lady of so Shalott. beautiful it's so the colors It's so beautiful the 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 expression of her face I actually like stood there and cried when I saw it, and I've never had that. This response. is my favorite thing that you've ever told me. Yeah, about I anything. I know that's I, beautiful. I was. I practically couldn't leave. It's really sad. It's a very sad story. It is a very yeah. sad story. It is a very, and it's a very wonderful again, Tennyson. Yeah, it is. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I, I literally, sort of sat and stared at it for like a good hour. Was that the only Arthurian? I uh, no, there was some other Arthurian stuff there. There's there's quite a bit of. Arthurian stuff, I would say. Um there's a lot of literary references, so the pre Raphaelites are very interested in medieval literature. Yeah, they are. Um there was Isabella and the Pot of Basil. Um there was um, La Belle d'un Sensie. Oh Keats, yeah. um, a, a um, painting based on the poem. So there was a lot of Was lot there of any Beatrice? Uh, there stuff. is, yeah, there is oh, a little bit of stuff stuff. Really yeah, I know. It I'm was, very excited yeah. It was. We a, are
1: being paid by. <laughs> yeah, it was a very ex- the National
0: Gallery. Of yeah, film. yeah, we are we are your promotional service, National yes. Gallery. Any you could send us any money. Yeah. McCre- no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. It was it was a lovely medieval stream. Yeah. Okay, that's good. Yeah. I'm Glad I'm going. All right. I think that wraps it up for today. Do you think anything yeah. else you want to say about going to be? Um. Any texts that you want to recommend that people read besides Tennyson who is cool
1: okay so if you want something to make you angry okay I I do like a bit of rage yeah I do Mm. too so um I'm trying to remember his first name but his last name is definitely Penny
0: okay Penny oh John Frederick Penny John Frederick Penny that is uh, P-E-N-N-I-E that is a very Victorian name I know right he wrote
1: in 1832 so well before Tennyson Ooh, yeah so it's a lot of this stuff that comes before Tennyson is not kind of canonistic I mean is any of theory canonistic but it, it's it doesn't have any semblance of what came after so right, right, yeah right. yeah um but it was after the reprinting of Mallory so it's still demonization of Goinevere um Penny's the Dragon King it's a play right you can find it on archive.com or something like that hate Trust um, it's so awful. Okay. So basically, Woo-hoo. yeah. No, it's like trigger warning. But basically, okay. Guinevere, um, she's not with Lancelot. She's with a, a, a knight, which they always do, especially before Mallory was reprinted. They Lancelot just has a different name. So it's right. Mordric, I think. Um, no, that's not a good name. Right.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, I think it's probably coming from Mordred, though. Yeah. 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 Um, so... <laughs> She, it, they discover that she's having an affair with Mordrick and um, Arthur finds out and it's a very weird text. It's like based, it's like Saxon and yeah. So he's like, lead her to the Saxon camps and leave them to, leave her to their mercy. So it's basically like, yeah. And, and this idea, and I think they even have this idea of like a woman once fallen, can't be redeemed, like sent her to the Saxon camps. To be to raped. Be. Yes. You. Yeah. Yeah. That's gross. It's really gross. So there's... there's... Am I
0: might read it when I'm looking to work up a nice, healthy rage. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like, I'm writing something at the moment about this kind of, Which hasn't been discussed. The kind of, like, almost glee and pleasure that was um, derived from really sinister, um, violent depictions of the punishment and, like, the... Um, downfall of guinevere oh that's gross yeah so i mean they range Mm. penny is the worst (laughs) but there are ones of her like sprawled on the floor in front of um arthur Mm. and with her hair like flowing and she's and, and and there's a description of her by tennyson of that scene that was then like reproduced over time of her laying on the floor and like her white bosom's heaving kind of thing. Not heaving. It wasn't heaving, but something about... Do you know what I mean? It's sexualized. I'm sure it was I'm sure they're heaving. Yeah. So it's sexualized. Mm -hmm. This kind of um,
0: debasement of Guinevere. As a sexual woman. As a sexual woman, yeah. yeah. That's interesting. It's really, really creepy. Ew. Okay, so Penny, any other ones that you want to recommend that aren't as, like, rage-inducing?
1: Yeah. So on the other hand... Yeah. One that's nice... Yeah. Um... Oh god, there's so many of them. But the one that's nice
0: is uh, Ellie is again consulting her notes. I where am, there is a very long. List.
1: Letitia Elizabeth Landon. L E L.
0: Love L E L. Me too.
1: Mm-hmm. So she wrote a Legend of Tintagel House Castle. Right. That was also prior to. Um, that was also prior to Tennyson. Right. Yes. I think in the 40s, 1840s. Yeah, but I can't give you the exact date but Sounds wrong. Yeah. yeah so instead of so there's also this tradition this is tradition of like retelling the story of guinevere and how she was evil and how she brought down society so this is focused on society but then there's also a lot of there's a tradition of representing guinevere's sexuality and like kind of focusing on like the baseness of her sexuality and kind of aligning that with nature and how she was going against her nature but also aligning her with nature in a weird way right. like against her female nature but also kind of aligning her with the natural world in a mm-hmm. weird way. Mm-hmm. So there were a lot of texts doing this um, and kind of almost suggesting that it was Guinevere that enticed and seduced um, Lancelot and led to his fall. Right. And it was often represented as them kind of going through a forest together. So Tennyson wrote another text um, called um uh uh sir lancelot and queen guinevere right. before the idols and it's kind of them walking through the forest and it's all like all about guinevere and like how um how she's coming in the spring is coming and and everything's coming into bloom and it's kind of very much kind of allegorical of her sexuality and then yeah. she entices lancelot and then he can't reach the grail in the end i think that's bull with linton as well he has one where she that Lancelot, as a result of, like, Guinevere and, like, the grasses, lisp and sigh and trap her uh, trap him so he can't find the Grail and find God. Um, But then uh, L.E.L. comes along and she writes a text where Lancelot seduces a wood nymph.
0: As you do, yeah. Yeah, I mean,
1: we all have. Yeah. So he seduces a wood nymph and then he seduces Guinevere and then he seduces the lily maid of Astolat, And it's kind of this depiction of him seducing these three women. And these three women have, like, the the, the nymph drowns herself. The lily maid of Astolat commits, well, doesn't even commit suicide in that way. And then Guinevere kind of, there's no real mention of what happened to her in the end. Um, but there's kind of this suggestion that it's Lancelot and it's Lancelot's kind of like masculine lack of concern for women.
0: If he would stop seducing if random women. If he seducing
1: random women, then like... None of this would have happened. Yeah, happen. and it's not, only, it's not only the fact that she's kind of linking these women and their kind of sad ends, but at the end it also said something along the lines of like, um, if men would but... Um, oh, and there's like this image of him on his horse trampling over flowers at some point at the end he's they she mentions like if but men would um, think to um, protect the flowers that they come across instead of trampling them underfoot so it's almost like universalizing mm. men's uh, poor ill treatment of women yeah and using Lancelot and Guinevere in that story to tell it is really Interesting. I
0: love that. Yeah. I'm going to read that straight away. It's
1: really nice.
0: L.A.L. wrote one of my favourite Amberlynn stories as well.
1: Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Because she's late 18th, early 19th, right? Yeah,
0: she was I think it's 1837. Oh, okay. Um, I, Although that's just – I mean, that could be wrong. But that's my guess. Um, I think this is around the 1830s. Yeah. Um, she writes this great story. It's sort of similar. It's about, um, so, you know, Henry's pursuing Anne and she's received this um, ring from her actual love, yeah. Henry Percy, and he says, you've got to give me that ring as a token of your troth." You know, like yeah. you, you're going to – I'm going to receive this ring and it's going to be a, a sign that we're going to get married. And she's like, Ugh. but he's the king, so she can't yeah. kind of really do anything. And so no. she's trapped into, into marrying him and she's also trapped into giving him this ring. And then it flashes again to um, – it's just a story, short story. So it flashes to – her in the tower waiting for her death and he um she sends him the ring or something i can't remember how it goes but he ends up in in regard he has the ring and um oh that's right because she gave it to him and so he sends her the ring and says um i know that you are are unfaithful and i know that this ring wasn't your ring but it was in fact henry percy's ring and that's because you're you know like this you know unfaithful woman but then she's trapped because yeah he demanded it yeah, her. you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So it's got this kind of lovely symmetry and it, it shows you how trapped she is because she's trapped by his attentions yeah. and then she's trapped by his um, desire to read her unfaithfulness into what she's done, which is nothing. Like she hasn't been unfaithful. Mm. But he he wants to get rid of her so he'll use that against her. And is that the first time that that kind of defence has been used? Uh, no, people had defended. It was always women who defended Anne Boleyn. Right. You know, as <laughs>
1: in relation to kind of
0: oh, because she was forced into yeah. marriage. That's yeah. really interesting. Yeah, so there's a lot of like in the um late seventeenth century, um, this woman who is a French fairy tale writer, um, writes um a story about like a play, um no, not a play, a novel, a sort of pseudo novel, early novel, um where she she writes about Anne Boleyn as a kind of victim of Henry's sexual pursuit, like a sexual mm. harassment victim. Mm. And that becomes picked up Again and again, but it's by women.
1: How interesting.
0: Yeah, uh, who get that, like, if you've got the king kind of buzzing around you, you can't just yeah. sort of go, sorry. Um, you've got to manage it, you know, mm. if you won't give up. So anyway, I'm derailing it with talk about Anne Boleyn No, usual. no, no, it's really
1: interesting. And I, I think like, there is definite connections and, and kind of um, – th-
0: there is something going on in the way that queens are represented. Yeah, and because they are, like – I mean – Anne Boleyn's adultery was not real, but she certainly read through or, or through the lens of the adulterous yeah. queen. Yeah, except that Henry VIII wasn't nice. No, and Arthur was supposed to be nice.
1: No, yeah, supposedly, apart from in penny where she he sent her.
0: Yeah, and I mean, and I- the, the Tudors loved some Arthurian legend and using the Arthurian yeah. legend to justify their very tenuous grasp on the yeah. English throne. So, anyway, I'm going to wrap it up there. Otherwise, yeah. I'm going to take over this um, discussion with me talking <laughs> about do. Anne Boleyn. Yeah. And I think the listeners are probably sick of that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> thanks so
0: much, Ellie. That was so interesting. Oh, I'm going to go home and read Ellie Because I love Please her. Please do. There's any biography about her that's just come out. Did you know that? No, I did not. I'm I did not. But I'm, yeah, I would like that. I like her a lot. Yeah. Anyway, Ellie L., go read her. Yeah. And you can go, can go to Canberra. Can yeah. <laughs> go and weep in front of Go and weep in front of the ladies. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me. No, thank you. No worries at all. So this has been another episode of From the Lighthouse. If you could rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, that would be super, super, super helpful. Um, Only five-star reviews, please. (laughs) (laughs) And if you've got any comments or suggestions or questions, you can get in touch with us at fromthelighthouse.org and we'll see you again in two weeks. Bye.